Hi, my name is Stacey McLean and it's an absolute honour to be speaking to you today. I'm in Auckland at the moment and I, well, the plan was for me to come and speak to you in person but unfortunately that's just not possible at the moment. But I do hope that I can get down to meet you all in the future sometime. Today I want to share with you a story, my story. Well really it's God's story. It's a story of God's incredible grace, his mercy and his love. It's a story of redemption, of reconciliation and of hope. I was once lost and broken. My life was a complete mess. First through the actions of other people and then I did a really good job of messing it up myself. I had no future. But in one single moment my life was forever changed. In one single moment I was put onto a completely different path. And that was a path to healing and to life. Now as I share my story, you might relate to parts of my story. Or maybe you know somebody who's been through something similar or is going through that right now. And so my prayer today is that as I share my story, that God will speak through it. And will have a fresh awakening of hope and a deeper revelation of just how much God loves us. Now I grew up in what looked like a normal New Zealand family. Mum and dad and three girls. First in Tokoroa and then in Christchurch. But behind closed doors, things were quite different. Behind closed doors, my family was in chaos. There was a lot of arguing and fighting and drinking and parties. And as the youngest in this family, I was kind of lost in all this craziness. Now, my mother and I had a very difficult relationship. You know, I loved her deeply and I craved her love and approval so much. And I know now as an adult, looking back, that she loved me. But at the time, I just didn't feel like she did. My mother had a drinking problem from before I can remember. And although she managed daily well during the day, the evenings and the weekends were uh, difficult to deal with and quite scary as a child. When I was 12 years old, my parents finally decided they would separate and my mother decided she was going to move up to Auckland and I was left behind in Christchurch with my dad. Now my elder sisters had left home by now so it was just me and my father. Now my mother's choice to leave uh, impacted my feelings about my own worth and lovability. You know, as a 12-year-old girl, this was a time in my life where I really needed my mother. And we only got to see each other on the school holidays. And this was the old days before Facebook and Zoom. So we didn't really have that much contact. And her leaving, I just thought there must have been something fundamentally wrong with me if she could just walk away from me or seem to not care about my day to day. And living with my dad was crazy. My mother, my dad was a good man, but he had a very inconsistent parenting style. And he had this explosive temper. I had no rules, no curfews, no restrictions. I could pretty much do what I liked, but I also had to keep up, um, I also had to take care of myself. And I never quite knew when he would fly off the handle and rage. So I walked on eggshells at home, felt unloved, unwanted and lonely. 
And this idea of having no one checking up on you, that sounds like a dream to most teenagers. But in reality, with no guidance and no boundaries and this desperate need for love and approval that I had, I was on a collision course with disaster. It was on a holiday up to visit my mother that I fell into a complicated love affair. This particular holiday, a friend from Christchurch came up with me and uh, one of the days in the holiday, my mother had something on. So she arranged for a friend of hers, he was in his early 20s, and he had a younger brother who was about 18. And they were going to take us out for the day. Now we were 14 years old and we were boy crazy teenage girls. So uh, this setup was quite fine with us. So the guys came and picked us up and drove us around Auckland looking at the sights and we ended up over in Devonport. And Devonport, they have all these battlements and tunnels left over from World War II. So we kind of explored that area and then afterwards we went and sat on the grass by the car park. Now it was a beautiful summer's day, a clear Auckland day, blue skies and just the sun was shining. So one of the guys went back to the car and he came back and he offered me a beer. I accepted it. I didn't think for a moment my mother would have a problem with it. And I didn't think about any consequences. I just wanted him to think I was cool and fun. And the moment I put that beer to my lips, it was like drinking liquid joy. It wasn't so much the taste that I liked, but very soon that warm calmness came over me. And it was a feeling that I had been searching for and craving. I believe I was absolutely hooked from that very first sip. It was like a switch had been turned on inside my body. And this was what I was searching for. They drove us home back over the Harbour Bridge. And I remember we had the window down and the wind was blowing through my hair and in my face. And they had Def Leppard, an old band, blasting on the stereo. And it was just this feeling of freedom. The first time I'd ever felt alive and free. And so much fun. It was like the world was a completely different place. And all my problems and the pain that I had was all covered up. I'd been given a moment of freedom from my reality. And the real me just didn't exist anymore. And this was a feeling that I just loved and I just wanted more. They dropped us back home and the effects of the beer wore off. But that memory of how it made me feel, how I felt alive and free and fun stayed with me. And ever from that moment, I chased every opportunity to drink. And I fell into a complicated and volatile love affair with alcohol. Back in Christchurch, it was easy to get alcohol, you know, through older friends and boyfriends. And I ended up drinking two or three nights a week. And in the weekends, there was always a party. Now, at first, I liked having a few drinks and feeling fun and tipsy, always chasing that feeling of that first beer. But I'd always have another and another and another. And very quickly, I would turn into a sad and miserable and angry drunk and I often did incredibly embarrassing and dangerous things putting myself and other people at risk 
When I was 16 years old, my mother announced that she was moving to Zimbabwe in Africa. And now to my already damaged heart, my mother didn't even want to be in the same country as me anymore. And it meant that we no longer would have the school holidays together. So as a teenager, just struggling with the normal teenage things like school and boys and relationships, but I was also struggling with this deep-seated grief and abandonment from losing my mother, and also this shame and embarrassment from my drinking. And they quickly spiralled into addiction and reliance on alcohol. And no one ever plans to become an addict, and it was definitely not what I aspired to be, not what my teenage self wanted. But with my drinking and my pain, I just put myself into a deep, dark prison cell with no hope of rescue or release. And I hated who I was when I was drinking, but I was absolutely powerless to stop. I always said yes when somebody offered me a drink. At 18, I moved up to Auckland to go to university and I had big dreams that things would be different, but they weren't. I quickly fell into the lifestyle of the big city and the single in the city, going to, and looking for love and validation in nightclubs and bars and with random hookups. And it would all be fun and excitement the night before, but in the morning I'd wake up with a headache and stinking of smoke usually had vomit in my hair or my clothes. And all that fun and excitement of the night before was just regret and shame and embarrassment in the morning. Fortunately, around this time, I met an amazing man, Renee, who became my husband and is my husband. And he won me over with his kind heart. And initially, I hid the extent of my drinking from him, but as we dated for a while and I felt loved and wanted by him, my drinking generally decreased. We dated for a few years and we eventually brought a house together and moved in together. And life was starting to look up. It looked bright again and uh, I felt um, part of a family and I, it was just really settled. But this only lasted for a very short time until I got a phone call from my sister. My mother had left a message on my sister's answer phone saying that she'd flown to Sydney and she was flying back to Auckland that day and she needed to be collected from the airport. Now I was 23 years old now and I hadn't had much contact with my mother for a number of years. My sister got the odd letter from her, including wedding photos when she'd got married in Zimbabwe earlier that year, but myself, I hadn't had any contact with her. My sister couldn't go to the airport, so it had to be me. I had to go and pick her up. And I remember going to the airport and waiting in the arrival hall, watching all the people come off the planes and their excited uh, reunions with their family hugs and uh, just smiles and happy tears and here I was waiting for my very own mother that was virtually a stranger to me. I waited and waited and eventually after everyone else had come off the plane my mother appeared through the arrival hall doors being pushed in a wheelchair by the air hostess. The moment I saw her 
I knew she was seriously sick. I didn't know in that moment what the road ahead was going to be, but I knew it was not going to be good. We couldn't get much out of her that night, so the next day we took her to the doctor. And we went into the doctor's room, my sister and I sat next to my mother as she explained to the doctor how she tested positive for HIV about nine months before and had now progressed to full-blown AIDS. And this was the first we'd heard any of this. My mother was submitted immediately into hospital and they started a round of treatment and, um, you know, lots of doctor's visits and consultations. But uh, when it became obvious after about a month that the treatment wasn't helping her, we moved her to a hospice. Now, thankfully in New Zealand, we don't have much experience about AIDS, but it's a horrific disease. Over a short time of about two months, my mum lost her eyesight and went blind. She had sores all over her body, including inside her mouth, that made speaking and eating difficult and painful. She eventually lost her short-term memory and then in the end couldn't even recognise us. And in those last few days, she slipped into a coma. On her last night, we sat around her hospital bed. Me and my sister and our partners and my aunties and uncles. Just listening to her breathing. Her laboured breathing. And then somebody told a story about when she was a child. And then one of my other aunties told a story about when she was a teenager. And then someone else told a story about her as a young mum. And as they shared their stories, stories that I had never heard before, my mother took her last breath and exhaled one last time and left me one final time. After her funeral, Renee and I went down to Christchurch just to get away and have a bit of a break. And while we were down there, he proposed to me. And I said yes. <laughs> and we started planning a wedding. Now, I have been told by some people that I turned into a bit of a bridezilla, and that's probably right, because I threw myself into planning an ultimate wedding. Because planning the wedding gave me something to avoid dealing with my grief. Our wedding day was a year after, about just over a year after mum's death, and the day everything went perfect. It was a great day. But the day after, there was no more planning. There was no more running around. There was nothing to occupy my mind. And my grief and the pain just welled up inside me. On the outside, I was playing happy newlywed, pretending. But inside, my grief and my pain was consuming me. I was so deeply depressed and just struggling to do any of the normal day-to-day -day things. 
and I coped the only way I knew how. I drank. I started drinking more and more often and much more heavily. And every time I drank, it was a disaster. I was living in my own little bubble of hell. Impossible to reach, but refusing to open up. I was trying to drink the pain away. And then one evening, in the middle of the night, I was on my own. I was lying face down on our bathroom floor next to the toilet. And a pool of tears, just sobbing. I was a failure. I was just 24 years old and only six months into a marriage that was on the brinks of collapsing purely because of my drinking. I was an absolute out of control drunk and I hated the choices that I'm making and I absolutely hated myself. The thought of continuing to live my life like this was just unbearable. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just wanted to stop it. I wanted to stop the pain. But I couldn't see a way out. The only option I thought I had was suicide. But in the middle of my hopelessness and suffering, I cried out a plea. Not much more, not words, but not much more than a groan that came out through my spirit. I was crying out just crying out desperate for help. And God heard my cry and met me that night on the floor next to the toilet. No bright shining light, no angel choir, but a tiny whisper of the one thing I'd never had, hope. And a glimpse of a different future for me. It didn't matter that I didn't have a vision for myself. It didn't matter that I didn't have the ability or the courage to change on my own. God had a plan for me. And my life was never going to be the same again. I got up off that toilet floor and made the declaration that I will never drink again. Now, I had said that before. There's nothing new about that. But this time, something was different. This time, I was different. I had got out that floor different. And I didn't know what that meant. But I just knew that I was a different person. Somewhere in a dark corridor of my mind, a tiny candle had been lit and that light was starting to break through my darkness. Now I didn't understand what had happened to me in that moment, but I knew something had happened. I had been changed. I had hope when there wasn't hope before. I had a vision of a future. 
when there wasn't a future before. There was a possibility of a different path for me. And even though I didn't understand what had happened to me in that moment, in the days that followed, my heart started to soften. And the fog that was the drinking, the alcohol, lifted. And I started to see things in a different way. I started to see things clearly. And I started to see my life and the choices that I was making clearly. And it was not a nice thing to look at or face. But what I didn't know then was I was being prepared for the next step. Just a couple of weeks later, I was walking uh, back to my car after work up to the top of Queen Street. I used to work just off Queen Street and so I'd park my car at the top of Queen Street and walk back to it every night. And this particular evening I was walking back to my car and a um, young lady came up to me and uh, introduced herself and asked me if I'd like to go to church. And I said no, I was not interested, thanks, and carried on. Then a week or so later, another young lady, a different one, on a different part of Queen Street, came up to me. She introduced herself and asked me if I'd like to go to church. And I said to her, uh, no, I wasn't interested, thank you, and went on my way. But I sat in my car on that drive home and I, little alarm bells were going off in my head. Could it really have been a coincidence? that I'd get invited to church twice already. So I went home and I talked to my husband about it and um, he was brought up in a lovely Christian home and he thought it would be a really, really good idea if we went to church. So I agreed with him that if I got invited to church again, then I would go. Because surely it cannot happen again. And a week or so later, again, I was walking along Queen Street back to my car after work. A different part of Queen Street, a different young lady came up to me. She introduced herself and asked me, would I like to go to church? And I said to her that no, I did not want to go to church, but I had to now because she'd asked me. And so I went to church. And at this church, I met um, some amazing people. And they took time to get to know me and become my friend. And they took time to open the Bible with me and explain to me uh, what was in there. And I grew to understand that what had happened to me that night on the toilet floor was God. The creator of the universe. Of all heaven. Of all mankind. Came to me at my worst, at my most pitiful, my most vulnerable, to my toilet and lifted me up, lifted me out of my darkness and my misery and put me firmly onto a new path. And they told me all about Jesus. Before Jesus had been this man in history, you know, and I thought following Jesus was all about a list of rules that you tried to follow but failed at and always felt bad and guilty all the time. But as I read the Bible myself, I read these stories about Jesus and how he interacted with people just like me, the lost and the broken. 
And he didn't condemn them or turn them away. But he loved them and he welcomed them in. And he told them his message of hope. This was the truth. And this was the truth that set me free. Jesus was hope. My forgiveness. The removal of my shame. And oh the love. A love that I'd never experienced before. And so I accepted Jesus to be my saviour. And that was the beginning of a wonderful new chapter in my life. But it wasn't easy. I had to learn new skills. I had to learn how to live my life sober. And without drinking, dealing with emotions and how to not hide and avoid things. I needed time to heal. I needed to forgive. I needed to repair a whole lot of relationships. Recovery is a complex process. And through it, I came to cling to this one verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, before Jesus, I had no hope. And I had no future. And now I know that God has a future plan for me. And no matter how bad things seem, there is always hope. I've been sober now for over 23 years, ever since that night on the toilet floor. And God has taken me on this incredible journey from hopelessness to hope. I have discovered in all parts of the journey, we are never out of God's reach. Even in the depths of human misery, God can reach us and lift us up. There is hope in the darkness. No matter your past, no matter your current situation, you can never be too broken or too damaged for God's love and forgiveness. There is always hope. Let's pray. Thank you, God, Father God. Thank you for your gift of hope. Hope for a better life in this world and beyond. Thank you that you love us and care about our hearts. Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the price for our freedom, even though we don't deserve it. Thank you for carrying our burdens and giving us peace. I pray for every person that hears this message to grow in their relationship with you and gain a deeper understanding of just how incredibly much you love us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.